Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 66 with... Joseph Muggins and... Joseph B. Avenue. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So, we are in episode 66. Episode 66. Twilight Zone episode, because this is the episode where we're off gallivanting uh, in the wild blue yonders of the summer. Summer, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Travelers and things, uh, we're, so. We're traveling around and, and, and stuff, so we're not here recording in the studio this week, but we managed to... Get together. Get this little recording together for you. So here you go. All right. Um, so hello, everybody, and welcome. We're going to have to probably enunciate our words um, this afternoon, unlike other times when we've had the readings here. Um, I see a couple of new faces in the audience, and so usually the poetry buffet takes place the first Saturday of each month with the exception of Jazz Fest, who can compete with that, and Mardi Gras, although it does kind of seem like we're competing with both of those things right now. So anyway, um, usually the first Saturday of each month from 2 to 3, 3.15, um, and we usually feature three poets um, from the area. But today what we're going to do is we're having an open mic, um, so um, I imagine each of us will read for about five to seven minutes. I don't know how many people are on the list, but um, that's what we'll do today. All right. Um, so thank you all for being here um, today and kind of for kind of um, competing with the brass. Okay. So um, please welcome Dodd. Uh, I wanted to write something a little more serious and deeper, but. The muse was just a girl who wanted to have fun. Uh, Wallace Stevens has an aphorism I really like. He said, the poet is the priest of the invisible. This is Pasquinade. From these crescent streets of wandering French chances, haunted with antic ghosts, dancing bones and voodoo histories, Stevedores with arms festooned in the ink of old sailor tattoos. Witness the elegant antebellum decline with a pride interfading grace. We, the mildly inspired, seek shelter and solace in this silent movie star manse upon a gentle uptown hill. An improbability of poets gathered in casual company to share our unpublished cantos and shadow secrets in lyrical lines of confession, blithe verses and spilled curses in the wake of charmed tides, a current of little mysteries sealed in Napoleon wax, a limited band of balladeers and sometime expatriates, offbeat jazz hipsters, sea chanty tourists, rhyming in our own river town. It's good to be here, and thanks for keeping the readings going here. It's so important, I think, to keep poetry alive. And uh, so we often share thoughts and feelings. And uh, I, I'm the uh, 
publisher also of uh, the Maple Leaf Rag, and uh, it's an anthology we put together in uh, about every two years or so, or three years sometimes, but we're going to do another edition. This is going to be published in December, right around Christmas. And uh, so I'd invite you to come and read at the Maple Leaf and uh, on Sundays right around 3.30. Gina's been there a few times. And, uh, anyway, i just like to do two poems. Anyway, the deadline is September 30th, so you have to have read there once, you know, at least come and participate a little. And boy, is that, you want to dance. Uh, yeah. So I probably tossed it up in the sky. This is called time. I, uh, I probably tossed it up in the sky or kicked it around in the grass, thought an old man of an acorn that now casts a shadow over his park bench. And uh, I'd like to do one little uh, little one, and uh, it's in this book. Uh, and it's called, this kind of happened, you know, poems come to you in different ways. Uh, this kind of happened to when I was in a hurry one time, I was at the corner of Magazine and State, and it's kind of busy at rush hour, you know, and I had to get to class. And so. so that's where it came from, but it ended up somewhere else. And... Uh, it's called Waiting for the Light to Change. Well, I was standing on the corner of Liberty and State and was wait, wait, wait. Traffic light was stuck on yellow. Like everybody else, I was late, 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 waiting for yellow to turn green. People in autos stopping and going, pumping their brakes north, south, east, and west. Hope no one's coming out of a blind spot. But no one stopped to fix the light. The signal say hurry, say hesitate or waits. So I was looking around with an uneasy eye. I glanced at a front page pic through a plastic windowed metal news box. Beneath the static light, I see children lying face down in the street in the holiest of lands. Through the yellow plastic, it's hard to tell who launched the rocket. I just pray it wasn't made by a God we trust. I'm growing tired of this waiting, so I decide to risk it all, like a mad dash across the intersection. But as soon as I start, I'm bombed with honk, 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 honking horns, and somebody hollering, hey, get back up on that curb, boy. Well, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking about that, thinking of those headlines and those kids. And it occurs to me to climb that there metal pole, bang on that traffic light box up there. Nobody seems to be watching so before I know it, I'm shimmying on up there. As soon as I'm up there, it seems like everybody's watching. Anyway, I bang on it once, and I bang on it again. <coughs> it doesn't respond, and I suddenly realize this signal comes from way over yonder. And just then, I hear the screeching wheels come to a halt, and I catch a flash of blue just as I'm sliding down, you understand. And the cop says, hey, what you doing up there, man? I say, I'm just trying to fix the light. Stuck on yellow, sir. But yeah, cops say, but you're not authorized. You got to be authorized. I'm sorry, you're under arrest. Tampering with the timing? Serious stuff. So he hauled me down to jail, threw me in a cell with three other dudes, one who had a fist in the second guy's face, while the third was off in his corner playing with himself. It was hell, man. 
I ain't just talking about the smell. Anyway, I'm out of jail now, thanks to bail. My lawyers tell me, you just tell it true. How I was late like everybody else, just trying to fix the light, like any good citizen would do. So wish me luck if you would. We face the judge next week. I feel like I'm still standing at the corner of Liberty and State. Wait for that traffic light to change from yellow to green. Thank you. Today I'm reciting from House of McQueen, and the name McQueen refers to the late Lee Alexander McQueen, who was a hot fashion designer, and he was Scottish. The book, um, the author of the book is Valerie Wallace, and the book came out this year, and I purchased it at the Poetry Festival at the Healing Center. So glad I did. So um, the poem I've selected for you guys is made out of Annabelle Nielsen's words. She may have been a supermodel, I'm not sure. I never thought it was a coincidence that I loved water. More than whispering stars, a sort of protective surrounding peace. Ocean darkness has that power. I may not be especially religious, but a choice to believe anything but wonder is taken from you when you dive. Mutely, I find inspiration at the bottom of the sea. Midnight, moonlight, excitement, flare beauty, living by its own private energy. Nothing about the ocean is weak. It's got its own vocabulary. It's millions of one true moment. The ocean gives, and what it gave me is I felt understood. Found closure and renewed vision in a place so vibrant. A bit like singing inside a gospel choir. For a time, you could believe you were a vessel, but if you kept at it, you'd discover you were just a gold thread weaving through. Thank you so much, Next is Megan Hey, y'all. Um, so I lived a couple different places, and I wrote some poems about them. Um, so I'll just read two of them. One of them is about Saigon. Meet me in the lobby and we'll ride up the choked 17th floor balcony where you can't hear me over horns and strained yelling. The air is yellow, the river is slow, and the pockets of silence are well-tended secrets steeped to perfection in icy pitchers, holding tea you can't replicate at home. Let's sit above them, hold each other to a higher standard. We're talking the highest pedestals and bouquets of medals, because you're the golden one. And if not, everyone else is brass at best. And then this one is about San Francisco. 
I never could see my house from the bottom of its hill, a park where I shared sandwiches, sunbathed, and drank tall boys with the geese. It's because of the fog, a living thing that wound itself around my face and inside my sleeves and made it impossible to remember what dry felt like. It blinkered out my home and the metro and anything 20 feet away unless I waited until mid-afternoon. But patience is not my strong suit, or broke through the clouds. Two winding miles up and around the redwoods, sweating cold with frozen toes, sometimes I'd find a, a stray patch of sunlight, and sometimes I'd find a flower. Thank you. Father's Day. I emerged through a keyhole, fat-bellied and ham-fisted, my clubbed feet wedged into pink rubber shoes, and you were there, all rump and substance, an elf among shoemakers. At first, we just stood there, staring at the open cellar door, hoping the monsters would stay put, praying all the lessons our fathers taught us about integrity ingenuity and the geometry of fish could hammer out pages of memory thin as bees' wings to circumscribe a ring around a bucket full of dark or fade like vinegar into three acts of kindness. One, the first time they kissed us with their whiskers and stink. Two, all the times he said you were pretty. Three, that time he spoke to the stars saying, here's my son, be grateful. We walked down, down the dank stone steps together, you and I, to rummage day in and day out, shuffling through the indifferent boxes for an exclamation or road map among specimen jars, hieroglyphs, and plans of attack. Um, Tucson, 1979. We grew up in an expanse of skin knees, I in my paisley tie and Bermuda shorts, and you with your patent leather shoes. Once upon a time, an old man riding a, riding a black bicycle offered me a rotten apple as an act of kindness. Why didn't I listen to my silent father and his GI Bill when every penny nail and size of screw had a mayonnaise jar, every nut and bolt? A generation of fathers watching Vietnam in black and white and wonderkins who could have been anything in that America. There were stuckies built over the interstate. You could eat fried clams and watch the semis and station wagons rolling under. And all we had to do was wake up, fly right, keep our noses clean, and we could walk that rail all the way to Easy Town. But there were colors and odors and faraway tribes. Into the dark, into the town, into the garden of hungry men, where kundalini yogis doled out plates of wheat berries with their stark white turbans and pooling dark eyes. Into the center, on the edge of the lip, there was an old woman, and I was your old man. Um, this is something that I wrote about a friend of mine, and it is called Grief Matters. 
Some days, my grief is a gas trapped in a Ziploc bag. It's light enough to carry around, and I can even hide it if someone gets suspicious. I can take it out and see my hands through the plastic. It's magic, a lightweight way to make it through my day without something I felt I couldn't breathe without. Other days, my grief is a gallon of tears I have cried into my sleeve, a pillow, or in the bathtub. It takes the shape of whatever container it is in, unless it refuses to be contained. And then my grief is a liquid with a vengeance. It is the mighty Mississippi. It's me missing a person who I'm not sure can miss me. It spans from here to Mexico, engulfing everything in my life. It drowns me as it is pulled from my eyes. And I don't know how I'm still alive because I definitely don't hydrate enough to supply this many goddamn tears. But on the worst days, my grief is solid. It's concrete I left unattended in the soles of my shoes, in the pit of my stomach. It hardens overnight and I can't move. It's a brick wall that I can't break through. It is the asphalt that he slammed into. The weight is too much to carry and I can barely get out of bed. Everything is frozen. I've gone back in time. It's March 5th, 2012, and I can no longer say the words, he's alive. I also wanted to share something that I'm kind of proud of because it was written as a New Year's resolution uh, poem. And one of them I have successfully done by quitting smoking. Um, And it goes... uh, To be comfortable enough in silence to sleep, to not feel ruled by having to eat, to give my lungs and liver a break, the heavy steps these goals would take. Thank you. It's nice to have a jazz band in case they want to accompany me in the middle of this that will go just fine with this particular poem. Um, I have a book out right now called Polite Occasions, but I am also uh, about to have a chapbook released about 20th century women in film. And this is, uh, I still consider it a work in progress, but this appears in the chapbook that comes out in, um, in August. It's called Dolly Shot, the, 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 the chapbook. And this poem is a bit long. It's called How at Age Seven I Met Marlena Dietrich's Character. She feels no love for children, especially in color, not in black and white Weimar cabaret shadow where she sits misted, her disdain, crooked lip, arched ironic brow, plucked stiletto thin over grease paint and glare, To me, it is gemüchtlich, a hug compared to my mother's bitter contempt and her terror at my least plea. Ferocious as she is, a ghoul of Deutsches Kino, subtitled on Saturday afternoon in shag-carpeted panel downstairs den, my parents upstairs arguing again, and she, a fishnet fiction femme fatale, fascist phantasm, Well, she scares me less than those upstairs, their final solutions looming in long hallways without nightlights, not mass holocausts, much more personal. Planning my oven end like Sylvia Plath. Ah, 
do, despairing one another, wreaking any vengeance for any wrongs, and I, who they say, well, Asleep caused at seven the blitzkrieg of my own home, so I couldn't sleep. Interrogated with no right answers, only vague demands. I could never offer alibis for waterboarding, drugging, dragging me. My mother's harangue that one day I would be a bad mother. So much worse than her occult programming program. Bad mother, bad mother, yes, a bad Mother, mother, I would, no, I would be a bad mother, not like her, and if all school counselors and teachers watched me faint from hunger, yet called no one, I must be a bad mother already, birthing her bad self by herself, no midwife, a bad mother, and not just at seven, a badass motherfucker forever, world without end, amen. So hiding in Weimar Republic, reading white letters against grayscale, the sound of distant shouts in their big house filled with mendacity, their loathing of me stinking like bacon. What could Lola, Lola do to me? Me, as she sang growling, sobbing orgasm. What could Lola, Lola do for me? Me, what am I to do? Lola, Lola sang. In pink pajamas, I fidgeted on the rug. Lola, Lola straddled a cafe chair. I raised my hand high in the front row. Lola, Lola, I stretched upwards. I stretched forwards, up. Lola, Lola leaned back. Vasi says, What am I to do? I squeaked, singing. The music stopped. Cabaret voided, a holy virgin, a bad, bad mother. See, I am assumed, not into heaven, see, I am assumed into churning reels at the dark center of their mandalas, no midwife, no mangala, no manners, scandalously savaging all space-time, burying myself with a desperate push. I arrive in a puff of cigarette, a blue angel at der blaue angle. So Lola Lola laughs, laughs, willkommen. I don't speak German, but I speak Lola. I speak bad mother. I speak cinema. The lyrics, I don't know yet. I can hum. Two. In Weimar, they still keep the progressives. I can smell the smoke of that cinema which burned d around Dali and Buñuel's and Chien de Loup. And in this dark room with all the strangers and the flip-flipping, I can walk to the moon and the slit-eye, but when will the beer hall push push me out? I am featured in this film now for years. Like most girl characters written by men, I preen ageless, sexy, terrifying. I entered this business at just seven, but I wore the fishnets right away, straddled chairs knowing classified secrets. I never cry here except when I croon. I hope you won't mind my breaking the fourth wall, but I want to know how it goes with you. Did we ever beat the Nazis? Really? I can't see you clearly in the shadowed stadium seating, eating popcorn on your laps, but... Are they gone for good? Are you sure? 
It's just that I smell that smoke. Mae West keeps looking around so nervously, and she knows that's a gun in your pocket. If the Allies won, why are you packing? Marlena and I are sneaking out the Jewish actors and the wardrobe mistresses. Emil Jannings, the male lead, he's brown shirt. We told them they died of the Spanish flu, but he meets with a man with a notebook off screen, and the expressionists have fled. How is it out there? Safer where you are? It doesn't look like it from here, my fans. Remember, we strut around half naked until that bitch Lenny Riefenstahl and her crew make us cover up and salute. Three. It's a wrap. In post-war post-production, falling in love again. I never have kids, never wanted to. I fling my first fling with a Russian Jewish boy fleeing Muscovite knife fights. What am I to do against his shower tiles? The first I scream, I buy a black kimono and I strut like Marlena Dietrich. Can't help it. Love's always been my game. I match too much, too many. Sadly, play it how I may, but I am not afraid of fascists, even at my door. I was made that way. I publish on racism, can't help it. I give lectures about Weimar's lessons. The Klan sends death threats for my trouble. Men cluster to me like moths around a flame. I refuse to fear. I roll on fishnets. And if their wings burn, I know I'm not to blame. I'm middle-aged now, beyond the years of falling in love again, straddling my chairs. But I remain just as it was foretold, a bad mother, never wanted to. Tough, tougher, tougher than Lola, Lola. More of a character, can't help it. The light hits my face. But I sit now in the dark. I haven't really aged, but she has. Look, you can see the cigarette burn. That means it's time to switch reels. That torch song scratches. I haven't aged at all. I dance to hot jazz. I string pearls, drink whiskey. Don't be stingy. Lola Lola is old, old, older. She wrecked the professor. The screenplay aged. But read here. Here sprout my new words. I write no creature of male imagination, not one of their sex monsters, but my own. Fiercer than what they could conjure. You read me in a thick volume full of secrets. Starlets only pretend to know. But know me here in black and white. The flesh-made word. Venus of Willendorf thick and holy. Prefect bound. I straddle the A for Anne and the Z for Zeitgeist. Why more and why more? A bad mother. A bad mother mother. Me. The smoke you smell is my book on fire. Thank you. Um, it seems like the Sicilian connection is kind of towards the end of the program. We had Kathleen, myself, and then Dennis. So, um, all right, this is a, a poem that was um, 
written this year. It's called A Delicate Balance. This obsession comes with starting, wanting to loom a singular strand, wound taut on a spool, looping and knotting with unspoken dexterity to a fabric of frothiness, sea foam synonymous, an ocean's curling edge, where light enters meshed with possibilities that nearly dissipate into broken clouds, a soft severing of wings, torsos, halos, and feet adrift upon unraveling. And this is a poem that's newly written, um, and um, it's hurricane season, and I guess this poem kind of maybe looks at that a little bit. It's called Unstoppable. O city of cypresses, live oaks closely suffocated by ferns around limbs that resurrect after each rain, and jasmine, star-flecked and bearded particular tonight, the serious flower which blooms solitary, the size of a grenade for only one evening. Those and these storms, always a fetus before infancy, a similar ultrasound image inside you, once, fist-sized first, first, fist first, pebble-shaped heart within the womb, a dark ocean empty of islands and archipelagos. This bold body, cerulean, sea foam, indigo, aquamarine, in search of continents to touch scalloped coasts and steep-shouldered steep cliffs, to toss itself, to hurl and withdraw from the unrelenting business of tides and ebbs. The moon, always operative without whims, no, no deviation, an ocean like a womb provides habitation for genesis and the preemptive counterclockwise spin. A reversal of hours, the gaining momentum, gathering winds, torrents, and squalls, the mise-en-scene between landfall and birth. Sorry, I arrived. This still out of this. Is this recording? Oh, this just made a terrible scratching sound. <laughs> so, yeah, the Italian connections at the end. Um, this poem is uh, actually from a, uh, a memoir. Kind of cribbed the idea because I thought the idea was so sweet. Um, by a writer of Lebanese birth named Etienne Adi, who grew up actually in England. Um, but uh, lives in, um, in Italy on a farm and near uh, Assisi, which is kind of midway up somewhere in your shoulder pocket, you know, um, in a little town called Pretali. And it's about a donkey named Otello and Otello's love of music. Okay. Otello and the accordion. That kid must have been so inside his instrument that he didn't know the donkey Otello had come up the road from the fields below and heard the music. 
Etain says, animals get us, see us together, one little instrument in one room full of people, all ears tuned. And they think, this must be how they communicate. And so the donkey stood quietly behind the Belgian boy who had walked all the way from his country to Pratale in Italy, dropped his backpack, and started playing in front of the house where Etienne lives. But this kid was too far gone. And Otello raised his ears and wrapped them around the lad's head to get that full stereophonic effect, Etienne says, and stayed there a few minutes, his nose three inches or less from the kid's neck. Evidently, when the young boy is like 19 and the kid realized that the donkey was standing behind him, you know, there had to be somebody there watching, otherwise we would never know. Um, and now I'll read a couple poems from a translation I've been working on, or was. I guess it still needs some work because I found some things in there that were not right this morning. These are by a poet um, born in Bologna who died in um, Rome at the age of 53 in 1977. Her name is Christina Campo. And the book is called Farewell Step. Farewell Step. I'll do this one because it's the one that I changed this morning. It remains down there, warm, life, air, the color of my eyes, the time burning at the bottom of every wind, living hands searching for me. Leftover is the caress I do not find, if not between two dreams, my infinite wisdom in tatters, a new word that turned blood into tears. I don't even take a face with me anymore. Already passed through another, as I hoped for, in wine consumed in silent accesses. I turn alone between two sleeps down there. I see the rosy olive tree in pitchers, brimming with water and moon the whole winter. I return to you what freezes in my light tunic of fire. Recite things from memory. I can do something older, but I don't have anything new. That's okay. We would not know that unless you, I mean, yes. But yeah, why don't you you come close us out? I think I remember. Dream of Fire. O sacristy of sodden songs, we chant the factory of youthful eyes awash in paper chains and cherry stems, where earlobes are adorned with bells and the prominence of bridges flattens yet another foot beneath the statue of this city's patron saint who moans astride the crescent of her tinseled racing bike which trails the flags of Abu Dhabi and other emirates. Where else will Hammond organs plunk their Leslie wheels into the silt of aged rivers? 
Will the oil and sand of the machines of ancient industry reanoint the piety of our infirm hearts? All right, well, um, thank you everyone for coming. I think this is one of the swiftest poetry <laughs> phase that we had, but evidently the, the brass music was stirring us in different ways. Um, so thank you all. Um, in July, um, I'm actually going to be out of town, but I think someone else might be handling the buffet, which I think would be July 7th. Um, and so that's going to be coming up. So um, thank you all for coming and for sharing your work.